Welcome to the Winged Wheel Podcast. Here to talk all things hockey are your hosts, Brad Crisco, Ryan Hanna, and Evan Lobsinger. It's weird having this milk bag sitting to our right again, eh? Forgot this guy even existed. I liked you better when you were just the Mark Stahl 1000 shirt draped over this chair. I wouldn't have known that. <laughs> we know. Okay. <laughs> Welcome back from your little golf tour. How was it? It was awesome. Yeah. It uh, exceeded expectations. Some courses very much the opposite, but some were everything and more. How's the wallet? I don't even know where it is right now. <laughs> it's for the best. It's either in my car or somewhere in my house, and I have no idea. <laughs> All right. Uh, welcome to the Winged Wheel Podcast, folks. Back with a full roster. That was Evan sitting to my right. My left is... Brad Crisco. Yeah, you're no longer fake Evan. And I'm Ryan Hanna, and we're here to talk to you about uh, all things Red Wings hockey, the world of the NHL, international hockey again. Oh, I just did a wildly different intro. I didn't do our usual... I didn't give Evan his opportunity to to deliver his line. That's what happens when you're gone. We're all out of sorts, man. That's right. That's right. I'm a glue guy. Yeah, you are a glue guy. That's yep. upsetting. Why are you a glue guy? You were 25 minutes late today. <laughs> <laughs> but my dinner was great. Oh, I thought it was the roads. Definitely wasn't better than my dinner. What was your dinner? Uh, I, mean, I had like a shrimp pasta that I made. It was really good. Yeah, that's not better than beer and cake, but yeah. it's close. <laughs> I need to, I, I know people don't like when we go on tangents before we start talking hockey, but I need to tell this one. Uh, I was in Windsor over the weekend very briefly. Um, My apologies. Yeah, thank you. Um, which will hold true even more so in a second. It was uh, my mom's birthday earlier in the week and I wasn't able to make it midweek. So, you know, another what? year your mother lives, another year you're not a doctor. <laughs> Hod, man. <laughs> I'm about to do this self deprecation. Can you oh, give me a minute okay. to get sorry, there? Sorry, <laughs> sorry. Your turn. Your turn. So I went home to see my poor mother, yeah, who doesn't have a doctor for a son. And uh, in the evening, my dad was like, hey, I'm, I'm going to go play uh, poker at Caesars. There's a Caesars in Windsor. And I was like, yeah, you know, I, I really like poker. Um, I don't play often. Um, I don't think I'm that good at it, but I, I like it. So I'll go every few years. And I hadn't been since before the pandemic. So I went. And I don't know why I do this to myself because the people of Windsor play in that poker room like they have nothing left to live for. They robbed me blind and uh, it's tradition for me. So I'm like wandering through the casino floor, heading back to the parking lots the evening. And uh, I probably look like a maniac, like muttering to myself, eyes wide open. And then so all I hear is, hey, and I look up and I see someone and I'm like, ah, relative, no friend no like someone i went to high school with no and then he goes winged wheel podcast i watch you all the time <laughs> and i was like right i'm in windsor right 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 <laughs> and uh so dean uh thank you for saying hi apologies for the disheveled jarred look on my face and the world's worst handshake uh i hope you had a better evening at caesar's than i did but um yeah he uh he caught me at my lowest moment this is why i stick to the craps and blackjack tables yeah man i for someone who likes poker this much, it really does piss me off. Like, it's like golf, but just with cards. Yep. I've tried the poker rooms before. They are the most miserable place places on planet Earth. I hate them so much. Not even that I, I'm a huge poker fan or whatever. It's just the vibe sucks. I'm like, when you go to a casino, it's like a night out. You want to have some fun. Like, I know I'm going to lose some money, but if 
I can prolong it and have fun while I'm doing it. It's yeah. great. That's why I love the craps table. Everybody's playing together. That's where you get the like stereotypical movie scenes. Everybody's high fiving each other, having a good time when the puck hits. And, it's, <laughs> and then you go the in the poker, poker room, and it's like if you even so much as attempt to bluff me, I will end you and your entire family before you leave this building. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. You you act. That's very accurate. Okay, folks, what's up on this episode of the Winged Wheel Podcast? Um, we are going to be taking a look at some news about the Red Wings, both the Red Wings, the team this year, this upcoming season, some projections that have come out uh, through articles from Dom Lutician on uh, from The Athletic in terms of the value that they've added to their team, certain contracts, and how they rank among the league's best uh, or worst, uh, Detroit's contract efficiency. And uh, we'll be taking a look at Red Wings abroad, the the Red Wings prospects playing in the World Juniors um, coming up almost immediately here. Uh, and then we'll be looking at some lines and then some news from across the NHL and whatever else uh, happens to come up. Before we get to that, of course, I do want to call out that we uh, are proud, proud supporters of the Jamie Daniels Foundation. They're a children's foundation initiative that was uh, established in memory of Jamie Daniels and founded by Jamie's father and Red Wings lead announcer Ken Daniels and Jamie's mother, Lisa Daniels Goldman. They strive to end the stigma of substance use disorder and provide support to those struggling with the disease or who are in recovery. To learn more and offer your support, visit jamiedanielsfoundation.org. Lots more to come on that. Uh, as well as some other relevant news in future episodes. Okay, the World Juniors. It's weird that it's happening right now, right? Yeah. I thought it would be something I would I was excited about. Like when they got rescheduled in January, I was like, okay, at least we get the World Juniors. And now I'm kind of like, I don't know. I forgot it was coming until I started seeing rosters announced in the last few days. Yeah, like there's so much else happening, right? Like training camp is happening soon. The Holenko right now. It's summer break, really. Like everyone is kind of tuning out, and it, it's it's funny how it just doesn't fit in your head. Well, yeah, like I was telling you before we start recording, I had my two week. Like, am I watching any hold hi- highlights right now? No, absolutely not. Am I going to the arena? No, absolutely not. So I'm in that mode, and then all of a sudden it's like, okay, this is the week I start to get back into it. Oh yeah, there's this major international tournament right away. Get ready. Can you give the folks at home who might not be familiar the rundown on how we ended up with the World Juniors in early August? Um, So there's this thing, if you haven't heard about it, called (laughs) COVID-19. So as we all know, uh, the World Juniors usually run over New Year's. And this year they got about two games deep into the tournament before uh, too many players in the tournament had to quarantine and be shut down for the tournament because of this COVID-19 that you're just hearing about for the first time now. Right. So because of that, organizers decided the logistics with uh, how it was breaking down just could not happen. So rather than delaying it weeks or a month and, you know, trying to stretch it out while the players are there and players going in and out of quarantine, shut it down and try again. So this is the try again. So rather than canceling it entirely, they delayed it to almost literally the last possible minute before these players have to start reporting to their club teams for the year. Right. So uh, it'll be a good kind of tune up for a lot of these guys for the season. Um, And yeah, I don't know if we're going to get the same quality of hockey as we would in August versus mid season, but who cares? It's going to be fun to see either way. Yeah. You know, there's, there's the sentiment that a lot of players aren't going to be going who otherwise would because they're they want to prep for trading camp, right? They want to make an NHL roster. Even and then European teams like Marco Casper declined his invitation to oh, this tournament. And it's and that sucks, but at the same time you're like 
it's going to open up an opportunity for other guys here who otherwise might have been on the fringe or or cut or you know had absolutely no playing time and now they're feature players william wallander yep so just to go through it uh some of the red wings representatives uh from sweden william wallander uh defenseman simon edvinson obviously uh on defense and then uh theodore niederbach uh who i don't know if he'll slot in as a center or he usually plays center for sweden which by the way does it not feel like theodore niederbach's been a red wings prospect for five years how is he still in the world juniors i know i know (laughs) i think it's because we've been so hyper dialed in on on the prospects over the years that each one seems like a century ago uh jan bednash uh in net for czechia uh, for Canada, Sebastian Kosa and Net, and then Donovan Sabrango not only made the team, which some people are surprised by, got uh, an A on his jersey. Yeah, assistant captain Donovan Sabrango, and I don't think anybody should be surprised he got on the team. He was on the team in a pretty prominent role before it got shut down in uh, December, and I mean, I think he even scored a goal and had a couple points in, in those couple games. It's weird that people were surprised by that. Yeah, uh, the guy who's been succeeding for two years in the AHL uh, is going to play a prominent role in a junior tournament. That shouldn't be shocking to anybody. Emil Vero uh, on D for Finland. And then for the U.S., both Carter Mazur and Red Savage made it. Red Savage had uh, two goals in the pre-tournament game the other day, yesterday. I like that. It's uh, it's good to remind people that uh, Detroit has some elite names in their prospect prospect pool. Oh, yeah. And obviously, Carter Mazur has been tearing it up since he's been drafted. So that uh, Edmondson obviously being the premier player to focus on there, but correct me if I'm wrong, or maybe I should state it this way. For me, the, the prospect I'm most curious about and most intrigued to watch is Sebastian Kosa. Sebastian Kosa. He's had a lot of hockey recently, and it's kind of been highs and lows. Red Wings, uh, the, the prospect camp that he was just at wasn't so hot for him. Um, but that was a prospect camp, right? Like that's not really anything to measure too heavily on, but this tournament is a best on best or as close as you can get to it. Junior tournament. It's important hockey. So I'm, I'm really curious to see how Kosa does. Well, if team Canada deploys their goaltending, like they did, uh, looks like they were going to, and started to do, um, back in December, uh, we're not going to see him. He played his way to be the third string goalie for Team Canada back in December, and he didn't dress for either of the games they played. And the way he's listed on the depth charts right now, that looks like that is also going to happen, which isn't a great sign because he was long expected to be the starter for this team. And there wasn't really much, uh, it was advertised that there wasn't going to be much competition for him. And now to see him, you know, good to still make the team, but might not even dress possibly is. Less than ideal. A little bit of a downgrade. Uh, Simon Edvinson, right? Yeah, that's where my focus is going to be because, you know, there's a couple other um, less prominent guys that I, I'm intrigued about just because of the roles they're going to play on their team and where they are in the Red Wings depth chart. But Edvinson's the obvious answer here because he has the potential to dominate this tournament. There, He has the potential to win tournament MVP if Sweden, you know, ends up taking the gold medal here. Like he has the possibility of being, you know, the best player in this tournament full stop. Now, obviously that's not the expectation for him because that might be a little unreasonable to put that much on the kid's shoulders. But you look at the other teams and around the tournament and you're going, who is the most talented player in this tournament? Who is the best player in this tournament? He's in the conversation. He's poised to be able to to kind of jump in there. Yeah. And it's our first look at Simon Edvinson in a little while here. And it's our first look 
coming into the Red Wings season. Simon Edvinson has NHL caliber players ahead of him that he's going to have to unseat to to grab a spot on this roster. He's he's got the potential, and like you know, this him playing in the World Juniors isn't going to probably be beneficial to him by the time you know February March rolls around, and he's really effing exhausted right but playing in the world juniors should in theory give him a leg up on all the guys he's competing for spots with because he's going to be playing competitive hockey before these guys even get to training camp mm-hmm. and not just competitive hockey like a very very high level high intensity tournament so he'll be up to game speed before anybody else is you know even boarded a flight to go to detroit or traverse city or wherever so you know he, he'll have that advantage and um you know, beyond him, I, I think probably the two guys Red Wings fans should focus in on more than others. Obviously, we're going to play super close to attention, attention to all of them. I would say would be two of the other, the three other left shot D because Wallander wasn't on the winter team. Sobrango has now been thrust into a bigger role because of his improvement on the favorites in the tournament. And Emil Vero doesn't get talked about a lot because he gets overshadowed by the Edmondsons, the Wallanders, um, the Johansons, the Sobrangos of the world. But he's going to play a huge role for Finland as well. And, you know, we talk about how much depth there is on the left side of the Red Wings D, even though on the NHL roster, it leaves a lot to be desired, even still with the free agent signings. You still need a couple of these guys to pop. The depth is great, but if a few of them don't pan out, it's all for naught. So now we're getting one tournament where we are going to get a very good look at four of them in prominent roles on contending teams. So this should be a really, really good litmus test to see how the left side of the Red Wings future is shaping up. Is there a Casper? No. Is our our Raymond insider playing? No, but... Like Brad said, there are lots and lots of reasons to be excited and uh, at the very least intrigued and curious about these Red Wings prospects. Outside of the World Juniors, where Russia isn't playing for obvious reasons, uh, Dmitry uh, Dmitry Bachelnikov played in a preseason game in the KHL and ended up with five points, two goals, and what was initially two assists, but uh, added a third. So let's have some extremely calm, measured, reasonable reactions to this. Bachelnikov next Datsuk, right? Just play the thing I said after we in our draft recap, where I said this kid looks ridiculous. You didn't even give me the opportunity to do your bit there where I'm like, oh, I don't listen to anything you say. Well, too slow. Yeah, I am. But you're right. The kid does look ridiculous. And it's one preseason game, but hey, pretty fun to watch him light it up against uh, fellow or KHL competition. Yeah, I mean, calling the kid Datsuk is completely unfair to him. There's never going to be another Datsuk. But let me tell you about David Pasternak. <laughs> <laughs> no, but in all serious, it's, seriousness, it's even though it's preseason hockey, it's good to see that he's doing this against men because that was the huge question mark. Even the most staunch, like, what the hell are the Red Wings doing picking this guy here? We're like, oh, yeah, he's ridiculously skilled. That's not in question. It's... He's an overager who hasn't done it up levels yet. Okay, well, this is a good start to that. You know, obviously a good sign that he made the Russia U25 team, given that he's only, what, 19, 20 years old. Um, 19 years old, yeah, September birthday. So, you know, a five-point game in a preseason isn't nothing. And I think the way he scored his two goals in that game is very relevant because when would, like, do the Red Wings have a right-handed shot who can bomb like that on the power play? Dude's got a 
<laughs> like an absolute, his first one yeah. was just a one-time, one-timer that the goalie got over and was able to get set for, and he just beat him cleanly. And the next one was just a beautiful catch and release into the top corner when, uh, from a low to high play, like, you know, Lucas Raymond's got a bit of that in his game, but ideally with Lucas Raymond, you don't have him as that guy on the power play. He's way better um, facilitating than being the trigger man. So if you get a Buchelnikov who can be the trigger man with the, you know, uh, Lucas Raymond's and Dylan Larkins of the world, that's that would be just fantastic. He continues to be the most inter- one of the most interesting prospects in the Red Wings prospect pool if you remove like the obvious, you know, top picks in each round. Well, if you want to say just interesting, he's the most interesting. Yeah. Not necessarily the highest ceiling. Obviously, we know Casper Edmondson, like in almost every scenario, will end up being better than Buchelnikov. 99 out of 100 scenarios, but... He's me- intriguing, man. Th- this guy's range of options is wider than any other prospect in the organization. And the style of player he is is completely unique in this entire organization right now. So he is definitely the most interesting prospect in the pipeline if you can excite evan to the point where he is still like it's a sec that's if you can get me to watch a 10 minute highlight clip of you that is impressive like post draft yes yeah yeah and then for me to also then remember it and then <laughs> remember it for days until we have a podcast and then for me to then remember that day and talk about it yeah i NHL scouts furiously writing down notes texting evan hey do you know this guy no all right don't draft him yeah Bum. yeah <laughs> Okay, that's some news about Red Wings prospects. We're going to monitor the World Juniors and update you as the podcast rolls along. Let's talk a little bit about Red Wings contracts. Um, Dom Lucician from The Athletic. And Dom, I'm very sorry for constantly butchering your name. We, need, we do need to get him on the show eventually. I agree. Well, uh, he's, he's put out a few articles talking about contract efficiency, the best individual contracts, the worst, and uh, teams that have made the biggest changes. And... Let's talk about the positive one here. In terms of uh, game score value added, basically Dom used his model to project how many wins were added based on the players who came in and the players who came out. And number one in the entire league, adding six projected wins uh, over $24.2 million in contracts this season, the Detroit Red Wings. The ins that he uh, counted, Vili Husso, Dave Perron, Andrew Kopp, Kubelik, uh, Peshik, uh, Charnik, Olimata, Matt Luff, Ben Sherratt, and out are Oli Levy, Thomas Grice, and Mark Stahl. So he didn't even count, you know, a player like De Kaiser because he wasn't signed by someone else. So he, it didn't factor into all of this. So not even looking at De Kaiser as part of the scenario, went out and uh, acknowledged that the Red Wings or the, the model acknowledged that everything that the Red Wings did was basically the biggest swing that we saw in the across the entire league. Yeah, we figured they'd be high on the list. I wasn't expecting them to be number one on the list, so that was a positive development. And it's not just that they were number one. They were number one by almost two entire wins, which by this model is a it's chasm. Yeah. That's a huge model. Like Hockey fans know how random hockey is and how much of a team sport it is, and they're generally shocked to find out how few wins like a superstar adds to a team when they get signed. Um, so to have that gap is good. And again, that's not even factoring in the, uh, addition by subtraction of Danny DeKaiser, you know, with all due respect to Danny. Um, yeah, but the one thing that I do kind of want to pour a little bit of cold water on this situation is by his model, the Red Wings added six wins, 12 points in the standings. 
Uh, the Red Wings missed the playoffs by like 20 something points last year, I think was the final total. Yeah, not counting what the other teams did in this model. It, the Red Wings finished with 74 points, six wins, 12 points. That would put them at 86, which would put them two points ahead of the, last year's Islanders, which is the first non wildcard so, spot in the So East. they finished ninth. Yeah. What Now, here's the one question because I guess if you really want to narrow down on this, uh, I think I remember Boston subtracted like they were in the negative for value added this offseason what was their total because that's who they're chasing essentially right yeah boston minus half a win essentially exactly so that so the red wings get all the way up to you know 88 points you 86 said? 86 points and boston finished over 100 yeah. there's still a sizable gap there now the one thing this model doesn't factor in is all the injuries the bruins have until december they are missing mcavoy and marshand uh, Grizzlick and I think a couple other players still around Christmas. So I think if the Red Wings get to a good head start and Boston loses a handful of points in that time, which they should, that's the only reality where Detroit probably gets into the playoffs this year. But, you know, so Boston's in the low hundreds, Detroit's up to 86 points. It's a start. Like we were laughing all year. We knew by December 1st, who the playoffs teams were in the East because the gap was so comically large. Mm -hmm. Like as soon as the Red Wings were overtaken by the Bruins and the Bruins had like six games in hand, like it was done. Like you knew that the East was set the, how scary is it to think last year's version of the Red Wings were the last team to follow to the playoff race who didn't ultimately make the playoffs? That's the, that's what, (laughs) like whenever people are really, really, really gung-ho about tanking this year and, and they don't like the way um eisenman moved in free agency to make the team better i look at them and i say yeah in a vacuum i can understand your your standpoint but detroit as bad as it was to watch is nowhere near the worst team in the league last year i mean there was like nuance with games played detroit played a lot sure, of games sure, up front sure. and detroit had the easiest schedule in the first half of the season i get all that but yeah like columbus and the islanders who are the next two closest teams that missed um they were out of the race before the Red Wings were. Again, it just it's crazy to think about because it feels like this was three years ago, but it was really only like eight months ago when this happened. Yeah. Um, so yeah, but again, circling back to the point of even though the Red Wings are the most improved by the team in the league, they were starting in almost the basement. So, you know, still a lot of stairs to climb. It's 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 so easy to get excited about this team, and I genuinely am. I think it's going to be a lot more fun to watch games at the LCA. I think there are going to be way fewer. Uh, hopefully, there should be that. Like this is the measure of success for me for the Red Wings. Way fewer absolute dud games where you just walk out head in hands, or you're wondering like, how are they coming back from this road trip with zero wins and 85 goals against? But the point you made initially, Brad, I think illustrates it well in terms of here's where you should temper expectations if let's say the model is underestimating it let's say they add you know eight wins that's still not a playoff team let's say they add 10 wins that's still not a playoff team by last year's measure 13 like it's they are a ways off a lot better is a lot better and that should be celebrated but they have to be way way better to be a playoff team and it's not impossible but there is a lot of work to be done this upcoming season, next off season, next draft, et cetera, et cetera. This is a grind. 
Now, that's not to say there's no chance, though. I'm not saying... Much better chance than in the past. Hockey's a, a random sport, but unfortunately, as, as valuable as analytics are, there's certain things they just can't take into account. Like, I don't think anybody's sitting here and going, Alex Ndelkovic will be as bad as he was last year for that prolonged stretch. No, I, I don't think anybody's expecting that. That's not even factoring in Vili Huso if you can get, you know... We'll just say 50-50 split, 41 consistent games out of Philly Huso because you didn't get that from Thomas Grice. And if you can get 41 relatively consistent games out of Alex Ndelkovic, that might almost be six wins there, right? And I think the model's not measuring the difference that defense is going to make for Ndelkovic. No, and not even the natural progression of a goalie developing, Yeah, right? So Ideally. There's there's so many factors here. And again, like we talked about with the addition by subtraction to Kaiser, Boston's injuries, God knows what a lot of the other teams in the East are going to be this year. So I'm not sitting here and saying, oh, by temper expectations, I'm saying get playoffs right the hell out of your head. No, no, no. Playoffs are a very real possibility this year. I'm just reminding everybody, the still most likely outcome is the Red Wings miss the playoffs. And I'd say almost comfortably. Then the next most likely scenario is the Red Wings just miss the playoffs and then the most likely scenario after that is they make the playoffs it's way less crazy like when people are amped up about the season and over the past however many years five six seven years they've been saying red wings playoff team next season i'm calling it you know depending on the year i would say you're either insane or crazy and this is the first year where i've thought yeah you know what i can't call you nuts i don't i'm still not putting my money on it but there are more than one way there's more than one way where this could shake out where i think the red wings could squeak in a lot has to go in their way but that's nhl hockey i think a lot has to go right for them and a lot has to go wrong for a couple other teams yeah just for me it's it it just boils down to enjoy watching a better team like don't really have any expectations like if it's not an absolute tire fire this year and they're in games and they don't get blown out nine to two that will be a success for this team. So whether that means playoffs or not, I think it's irrelevant. Playoffs would be nice because it would. It's been a hell of a long time, um, but I think it's just enjoy the team for what it is now and the progress they're making in an incremental fashion. All right. So Dom also mentioned each t- or uh, sorry measured each team's contract efficiency. So basically excluding entry-level contracts because those are kind of a cheat code for teams uh looked at the term and price of the players based on their performance and uh the red wings didn't measure up so favorably on this one so i think this is an interesting conversation uh detroit came 20th in the league in his model um their best contract graded out to be david perron and then uh, the last remaining year of tyler bertuzzi just behind him and from there it kind of gets it gets worse And it's really interesting because I think anyone who looks at this can't just react to it blindly based on the ranking. Like Dom does a really good job of explaining context, uh, explaining the strengths of the model and what some blind spots might be. And so I encourage you to do that before, you know, tweet it, you tweet at him angrily or anything like that. I'm just here to read the numbers. Yeah, that's right. Context. And, you know, without uh, a big shock here, the 10th worst uh, contract in the NHL by Dom's measure, how his model projects, is also the Red Wings' worst, worst contract, which is Ben Schrott's four-year, $4.8 million deal. And that seems to be what drags Detroit down this list. It's important to note that the two ELC contracts they have in Raymond and Sider have such an insane amount of value that if those counted, they'd rock it way up the list. But let's avoid that. Let, let's ignore that for now. 
What do you think of his, uh, his or the model's measure of where the Red Wings uh, are in terms of overall contract structure? It's about exactly what I was expecting. Um, because, you know, you look at value of contract and what most people will do mm-hmm. uh, naturally and logically is go dollar value, cap hit to point production or with defense, you know, it's a little harder, but like, so you look at go Dylan Larkin, 6.1 mil for like a near point per game, number one center. How the hell is that not worth more? Because he's only got one year left. That's why term factors into the, his model so heavily. And Steve Eisenman's got what? Two, three contracts signed beyond two years from now. So the Red Wings can't accumulate value by this model because they don't have enough years on the books to accumulate the value. Yeah. So even like, okay, Bertuzzi is the uh, one of the best contracts that has $2 million of surplus value because it's just one year. So Imagine if that was, was a seven-year contract. Yeah. Like it's Dylan Larkin. I mean, the, the model doesn't look at Larkin too favorably, but even he is technically a surplus uh, contract. Verona only has two years left. Perron just only two years. And you're right, Brad. Cop and um, Sherratt, who the model don't look at favorably, are five and four years respectively. So it's what we've talked about a lot previously, right? Like in an ideal world, did you have to give Sherratt four years for him to come on? No. In an ideal world, did you have to give Andrew uh, Cop five years for him to join the team? No. But if you want to sign good players in free agency at premium positions, especially Andrew Cop, like that fifth year is a, I don't want to say small price to pay. I would rather say worthy gamble. And I, I think that's what Eisman has explained as well. It's you're never going to get the ideal, just like you're never going to get the ideal rebuild. You're never going to get the ideal perfect contract structure. So those he views those as worthy sacrifices uh, on the path to building a, a better Red Wings team. So all that said, it is kind of funny to see, you know, all that about the Iser plan and, you know, Ken Holland's out and no more anchor contracts. And then all of a sudden there's a list of worst contracts in the league and you see a little Red Wings logo, make it back on there. You're like, ah, just like old times. I mean, even Dom says he's like his model's a little too harsh on Ben Schrott, which I, I don't think anybody loved that contract when it was signed. I know I still don't like that contract, you know, even though I I, I can like and appreciate the player. And unlike the rest of the um, boat anchors on that list, Sherratt's only four years and it's under five mil. There's way worse contracts to dig out of. Um, So, you know, what's really the worst case scenario there? It's not that dramatic. Unlike the other, a bunch of those other options where you just, there's no option to get away from them. I will say if an entire team is composed of like this Ben Sherratt contract and that player, like that's how you get the Red Wings of old, the uh, the Red Wings of who we've been covering most of the time we've we've been running this podcast for seven and a half years now, um, but one or two of those guys who bring tangible value to your team where you decide yes I will overpay in in term or yes I will overpay in dollars, um, but they are still making a material difference to how this team plays how they mesh, you know supporting the young guys who are the actual future of this team that is acceptable i think there's a balance where you can dislike the contract which i think i'm with you brad but appreciate what the player can and should do for the team and i mean the one advantage that they have with this ben contract being signed now 
is it's four years, and over those next four years, that Red Wings blue line is likely going to be littered with ELCs of, you know, Johansson, Wallander, Sabrango, whatever their timelines are for the first three years of their careers, they're going to be cheap. Yes. And by the time those ELCs are up, Sherratt's contract is off the books, so then you can properly balance that spreadsheet again without ever having actually overpaid for it. And if the Red Wings, man, if the Red Wings are starting to look at playoffs while Edvinson is on his ELC, while Casper is on his ELC, whoever next year's first round pick is on their ELC, like that's going to make a big, big difference. If all goes well with Kosa, and you know, that's still a pretty big question mark because goalies are an absolute black hole in terms of knowing what they'll be. But if all goes well with Kosa, that's a lot more of a patient timeline. Let's put it that way. Um, his ELC will come a lot later. And that could also like imagine the Red Wings have a goalie who's who's playing playoff games for them on an entry level contract like that's massive. It'd be like Florida. That's right. And they've had worlds of playoff success. (laughs) (laughs) But when Red Wings goalies playing on an ELC, hopefully it's planned, unlike Florida. Yes, because they have a very expensive problem there in Florida. (laughs) Okay, I you that you that low on Matthew Kachuk? Weird. (laughs) (laughs) We'll talk about Calgary in a second here. Uh, first, I want to mention. I said Matthew Kachuk. Oh, that's right. Yeah. 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 What does that have to do with Calgary? Nothing, if you ask them. They don't care anymore. <laughs> All right. We're going to take a quick break here to let you know that today's episode of the Winged Wheel podcast is proudly brought to you by the FanDuel Sportsbook, their sponsor that gives hockey fans what we really need, especially during the uh, offseason doldrums, even more excitement in the game. There's so many re- reasons why FanDuel is America's number one sportsbook. They're simple to use with great odds on different betting markets, giving you more action every game day. And they're tons of fun with unique bet types like same game parlay and exclusive promos on the biggest events. And when you win, you get your winnings back safely in as little as 24 hours. Listen to this. FanDuel is letting you place your first bet risk-free up to $1,000. Just place a bet on any game and FanDuel will refund you up to $1,000 back in site credit if you don't win that first bet. If you win, you keep the cash. If you lose, you'll get up to $1,000 back in site credit. Download the FanDuel Sportsbook app to get started with that risk-free bet of up to $1,000 and be sure to sign up with promo code WWP so they know the Winged Wheel podcast sent you. That's FanDuel Sportsbook promo code WWP. Must be 21 and older and present in New Jersey, Pennsylvania, Illinois, West Virginia, Indiana, Colorado, Iowa, Tennessee, Virginia, or Michigan. First online real money wager only. Site credit is non-withdrawable and expires in 14 days. Restrictions apply. See sportsbook.fanduel.com for details. If you have a gambling problem, call 1-800-522-4700 in Colorado, 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa, 1-800-9-WITH-IT in Indiana, 1-800-GAMBLER in New Jersey, Pennsylvania, Illinois, or Virginia, Tennessee Redline 1-800-889-9789, 1-800-GAMBLER.net West Virginia, or call 1-800-270-7117 in Michigan. Okay, let's take some time here to do uh, some line projections. I caught you off guard there, eh? Lines? Like a, like an actor? Yeah, that's right. Yeah, we script, believe it or not, we script every episode. Everything Evan says has been planned for weeks in advance. We have, that's uh, right. we have a lot of copywriters on this podcast. That's right. It's all just my dog, Abby. The monkeys on the typewriter. That are my brain cells. <laughs> Multiple monkeys, eh? You've upgraded. <laughs> yep, yep, yep. <laughs> when did you bring in the new recruits? My Abby missed you, man. I know. She literally, I, we scared each other when I opened the door. <laughs> and then she like jumped on my feet. And then I tried to move and she like bum stomped on my feet again. Yeah. The last time she let you go, you left for two weeks. That's right. She yeah. counted. She can't count. Neither can you. <laughs> no, <laughs> you you guys are right. sharing the monkeys. That's right. <laughs> All right, the Detroit Red Wings have some interesting roster decisions to make uh, this coming season. So I'm going to read out some names for you, 
And uh, let's go through what we think some lines could be. And I'm going to read these uh, names in, in the cap-friendly order. So we're going to be looking in terms of salary and position. Dylan Larkin, Andrew Kopp, uh, Jacob Vrana, Tyler Bertuzzi, David Prawn, Pius Suter, uh, Oscar Sunkvist, Dominic Kubelik, Adam Ernie, Michael Rasmussen, Lucas Raymond, uh, Giovanni Smith, Philip Zadina, who still is without a contract. Ben Sherratt, Philip Hronik, Olimata, Jordan Osterley, Moritz Sider, Gustav Lindstrom, Mark Pesek, Stephen Comfort, Jake Wallman, uh, Simon Edvinson should be counted too, actually. Robbie Fabry on injured reserve, Vili Husso, Alex Nedeljkovic, and uh, anyone else, you know, like Jonathan Berggren, if you want to count. Oh, obviously, Joe Valeno is in the mix. Uh, Elmer Soderbloom, and then, you know, you have the Chase Pearsons, the Cross Hannesses, the Taro Hirosis, what have you. So that is quite a bit of, I think, healthy competition for the Red Wings roster. So why don't we start with the forward lines? Brad, you first. Top six. Where does it stack up for you? Well, there's a few angles you can take on this one. The let's just stack the lines. You know, first line is your best player. Second line is your next best players. Third line is your next best players. Or you can spread the talent out. I think the way the Red Wings are constructed now, they have the option to do both pretty comfortably for sake of simplicity on this. I'll just go with like, I'm going to just stack my lines based on talent as best I can and just give those top two lines the most ice time. Either construction I would make of this roster. My first line is Larkin, Raymond Bertuzzi. You can't get away from that. If it ain't broke, don't fix it. And even if you tried to fix it, I don't see a better option. Like that line just makes too much sense. It's your best center, your best left winger, and what's probably going to be your best right winger for a decade mm-hmm. don't tinker with it it works and then on the second line you didn't bring in andrew cop to be a depth player based on talent he's definitely not going to be a depth player on this team so he's your second line center same with david perron i think those two guys right now you can staple to the second line i think the decisions as to who's going to slot across them will be a little more interesting again based on how you want to construct this roster i put Jacob Vrana there. Why? Because he's the best option. And you can put a pure goal scorer um, like that with a player like Andrew Kopp who can retrieve and distribute the puck very effectively. And you have, you know, offsetting uh, wingers who could shoot in Perron and Vrana and also have good ability to move the puck. That line has the recipe to be successful. Again, not one of the better second lines in the NHL, but good possibly above average um what i would consider there is maybe throwing kubalik on that left wing instead or zadina freeing up verona to go play on the third line um with Suter and whoever like again zadina or um kubalik or whoever however you distribute that to create a more dangerous third line i don't think there's a bad option there but I think based on talent, Verona probably should be getting second line minutes. So that's how I would divvy it up. I agree. Larkin, Raymond, Bertuzzi, you do that until it doesn't work. And there was very little indication last season outside of injury or just like pure wear and tear that that wasn't going to work, right? Uh, outside of um, the defense struggling to get them to the pu- get them the puck at right. any point during the game, <laughs> right? And I don't know what's going to happen. Now, no one really knows what's going to happen yet with with uh, vaccine restrictions or anything or or Bertuzzi's status. So we're doing this. I'm doing this under the assumption that he plays every game. That line sticks together. 
maybe the trade happens, who knows? But for now, Larkin Bertuzzi Raymond, I, I am a full supporter of what Jeff Blaschel did last season with Lucas Raymond, which was shelter him by give him the most offensive opportunity you can. So even when he's slowed down, it's not like he was a non-factor in the game. Uh, my second line, I, I understand what you're saying, Brad. I settle in on Vron on that second line. I think probably I settled in on. No, no, I, I know, but like you talking <laughs> I'm about, gonna create a conflict by agreeing with you. I <laughs> agreeing with Brad just generally is uh kind of creates inner conflict. That's right. It's a gross feeling. I don't suggest you do it. No, but you know, Cop obviously coming in as a second line center, that's not a surprise. Verona and Peron on the wings. That makes the most sense. And I think Verona is the first name to kind of move up if needed. You know, you have to hope as a Red Wings fan that that Jacob Verona has a full healthy season because this is a guy who could flirt with 40 goals in the right situation, in my mind. We've yet to see it. He, he needs to play. You know, availability is the best and first and foremost uh, trait that a player has to have to make it in the NHL. So he has to play, but by all rights, his output has been there the entire time he's been a Detroit Red Wing. It's just not been for very many games. Um, beyond that, Pew Suter, Dominic Kubelik, Philip Zadina. In theory, that line works, and that's probably what I'd go with, but I am concerned. I don't know what Zadina needs to succeed, and I'm concerned that that line might not be enough. It, it depends on what version of Kubelik the Red Wings get, but you know, what if Kubelik needs a little bit more talent to play with him? What if one of them needs to slot up on the second line and you, like you said, Brad, you move uh, Verona down or you move Perron down or whatever, whatever it might be. We've seen the science of what happens when Zadina plays with another check. That's right. Yeah. So I'm just saying that this can't fail. We'll, so we'll uh, take Dominic Kubelik as Jacob Verona 2.0. A thousand percent. But no, but having a shooter like Kubelik opposite Zadina, even though Kubelik won't distribute the puck to Zadina all that effectively, he presents another threat that the other team has to game plan on, which Zadina did not have a lot of last year when he was playing lower in the lineup because, you know, on despite all his struggles, when he was playing on the third line, teams knew he was the only real threat there. Um, so it was, it was super easy to key on him. And even then he still got chances. Again, we've talked ad nauseum about dude, if he just hit the net, and, you know, he's a good 200 foot player. Suter's a good 200 foot player. So you're not necessarily worried about that line getting caved defensively. I don't think they're particularly strong defensively as a line. They're not going to be the hardest line in hockey, to but play you're a third line. You can shelter a third line like that. So if you have two legitimate scoring threats and a, a decent Swiss army knife in between them. The Was that intentional? It wasn't, and I'm mad it wasn't. <laughs> I thought it was for yeah. sure. Yeah. It wasn't, and I'm actually like upset. That is the that. most perfect. Yeah. It, that would have been amazing. You should have just owned it. I would. I should have. Like, I'm too honest. That was bad. But um, the formula yeah. to have an effective third line is there. It's just a matter of Suter tightening up some of his deficiencies that he showed defensively last year, which you can find on a couple right. Austin Matthews goals. And it comes down to Zadina being able to, you know, hit the goddamn net. And we know what we're going to get out of Kubelik. We're going to get 15 to 25 goals. Basically, no help. Amazing. Yeah. yeah but basically, no help defensively and very little playmaking. But that's fine. If you're getting a 15 to 25 goal scorer on your third line, you don't give a what the hell else you could do 
we were all happy with Michael Rasmussen's progression last year as a third line winger, and he capped at 15 goals. So, you know, if you can get an extra 10 goals out of uh, the guy who's essentially quote unquote, taking his spot. Beautiful. Also an outside shot in case of injury or a player not working out, or we don't know what Zidane's contract situation is, et cetera. Michael Rasmussen on the wing, not a center. Michael Rasmussen, Michael Rasmussen on the wing on the same trajectory as he had in the last third of last season. And the one thing that I think is also very relevant about this third line, not about them playing together, is all three of them have the capability of playing higher in the lineup yeah. in case of emergency, in case of injury. You know, if Bert, if the second line's running hot and Bertuzzi gets hurt and they don't want to break up that second line, you can plug Zadina or Kubelik in there and they won't drag that line down. I will say my fourth line, and and this might be a tall ask based on the competition, but I have Joe Valeno at center, Michael Rasmussen on wing, probably Oscar Sankfus on the other wing with Adam Ernie as a scratch. Um, I actually really like that line. I That's think a great fourth line. There's some honey badger yeah. mentality there. Yeah, the Red Wings' first line based on our construction can probably be considered above league average, and their fourth line can be considered above league average. It's the in-between that they got to get, you know, it's a big whale sea. Yeah. Yeah. Did you say whale sea or whale sea? It's whale just sea. late. Oh, and I just I... said whale. Yeah. It's a big whale sea. The monkeys didn't catch up to that one fast enough. <laughs> Did I not enunciate? Probably, like, but it's like, there's, is there a pun there that I don't understand? <laughs> no. Yes, there could be. <laughs> maybe, maybe we miss it. Like Brad misses Swiss army knife. Folks, it's the middle of the off season, huh? Yeah. It feels like it with this heat wave. Any part of that forward conversation evan that uh strikes you as as different or controversial no not not particularly the only real question i have is well what the hell do you do when robbie fabry comes back you have it's to imagine fantastic there'll, problem there'll yeah. be another injury by then right like oh if i know the red wings yes, yes. yeah uh, we'll be well they'll be calling someone up while he's coming off ir yeah almost definitely and if not a trade like yeah, he's going to be out for quite some time. So it's it's not obviously it's not a good thing. You just paid him a good amount of money to play for the Red Wings for an extended period of time. But they have time before he comes back. So. And when he comes back, they can ease him in. Maybe he takes Sunkfist or Rasmussen's spot on the fourth line and just be like, let's just give you eight minutes a night till your knee starts to feel like yeah. fully back up to game speed. Wh- whatever. Again, we've we've said this like to the point where everybody's probably sick of hearing it this uh, off season, but man, flexibility is so critical, not only in, in getting a good team, but allowing players to succeed. Yeah. Whether that's in their role or in Fabry's case, rehab. Yeah. For the third time for the same injury. God, that's scary. Different knee this time. So it's two on one knee, one on the other. Correct. Let's get to the defense. Um, I would bet a substantial amount here that we're going to see at least to start. We'll see how the preseason shakes out. Maybe they realize in the preseason this doesn't work, but I think the first look for defense will be Ben Sherratt and Maurice Sider on the top pair. Um, and I see Ole Mata as like the defensive responsible cover for uh, Philip Peronik on the other side. And then I – I can't believe I'm saying this, but genuinely the third pair of the Detroit Ravens defense might be the most interesting roster spot of the season because does Simon Edvinson beat out the likes of uh, Jordan Osterley, uh, you know, Jake Wallman, well, he'll be out to start the season, Pasek's out to start the season, Robert Hag, 
whoever else. Uh, God, I forgot about it. <laughs> yeah, and then there's, you know, is it Gustav Lindstrom on the other side? Stephen Kampfer. Yeah, there's, and you you obviously a lot of people will hear those names and you're like, yeah, we never heard of Hag before. We never heard of Kampfer before. Before he got injured, uh, we never heard of Pesic before. That doesn't mean that they're not an NHL caliber pro who could slot in as a sixth or seventh D-man. And does Simon Edvinson come in on the left is, is again, the, the biggest question for me. So I project that he will. I say he Where? does. How? I say he does, and I say he plays with Gustav Lindstrom on the third pair. Um, what does that mean, like, contract-wise in terms of all the other defense NHL defensemen the Red Wings have sitting there? None of them are making enough that their entire contract can't be buried in Grand Rapids. Oh, I see. Okay. None of them. It's... They're all like legitimately the highest earning, you know, scratchable They all have defensemen. to go through waivers, yes? Yeah. Yeah, but Jordan Osterley makes $1.35 million. Like that, that's the most substantial earning and I think, seventh defenseman. And, it, right and if someone gets claimed, it might solve a couple problems. <laughs> yeah. They're not getting claimed, right? Like they're yeah. just the ending. You, you know what? If you lose a Stephen Kampfer to a waiver claim, okay. We'll, we'll be all right. You'll probably be able to get him back later. No emergency <laughs> podcast. <laughs> no, not for that one. Anyhow, I, I th- think it is worth mentioning though. And we said this last year and it happened, but we're going to say it again this year. Last year, we said Lucas Raymond is not getting a spot on this team unless he kicks the damn door down in training camp and preseason. And he did. It wasn't that Lucas Raymond was good leading up to the season. He was unbelievable. Mm-hmm. He gave them absolutely no choice to send him down. Cider was a given. Raymond yeah. was a uh, shock. Yeah. And Raymond gave them no choice. And that's why he was on the team. That same thing goes for Edvinson this year. Yeah. Because they have Hag, They have Osterley. They have Camper. These guys, while not superstars, are capable at the NHL level. You know you can plug them in on the bottom pair. And they are not going to, you know pardon language, shit the bed every time they step on the ice. Right. Edmondson has to be comfortably better than those guys to risk, even risk losing one of those guys in waivers. Even though it's no big deal if they do, the organization's not going to just let a guy walk on the hopes that Simon Edmondson might play better than he did in preseason. But if Simon Edmondson's at that point in his development, they leave, he leaves them no choice, then yeah, the spot's his. That's it's as simple as that. I'm going to disagree on the the minutia of this. I I agree with you Brad that Simon Edvinson has to he has to earn it. Like this isn't going to be a given, but I do sense with Simon Edvinson that the team is going to give him a little bit more leeway and maybe a little bit more leash in terms of not being as dominant as Sider or Raymond was and still probably earn that spot for a couple reasons. One, they want to rebuild and build out that blue line in a serious, substantial way as soon as possible. Uh, and they understand the value of NHL reps for NHL defensemen. It, you know, Moritz Sider was a phenomenal surprise, even for his biggest uh, biggest fans, even before everyone recognized just how good he was, no one was really expecting a Calder level season from him. Steve Eisman could think the world of Simon Edvinson. I don't think he's sitting there saying, yeah, this kid's going to win a Calder just like Maurice Sider before him. So those NHL reps are going to be important. And the sooner that happens, the better for the Red Wings future. 
I don't think he has to come in and kick the door down like Lucas Raymond does. I think he has to come in and basically just get close to the other guys around him. Like, you know, Hag, Osterley, uh, a healthy Pesic, for example, those aren't nobodies, but they're, they're, they're that's as low of a bar as you're going to find in terms of be as good as these NHL players. If the last rings, last year's Red Wings team, the bar was subterranean. This year, it's been elevated at least a little bit. Yeah. But no, I don't necessarily fully buy into that because Edvinson, you didn't draft him to be a bottom pair defenseman. And obviously with depth in his rookie year, if he's a bottom pair defenseman, that's still the likely outcome. But that's not the expectation for Simon Edvinson. If he's not coming in, if he's like, a f- if he looks like a bottom pair defenseman, he's not on this team. Like that's the reality of it. Even if he is playing less minutes than Schrod and Mata ahead of him, but he looks like he can leapfrog them and he's, or at least in the ballpark as they are this year, giving the Red Wings an above average bottom pair D, they're probably better suited just letting him work out the kinks in Grand Rapids, sliding the year of his ELC. And, you know, I mean, they signed a billion depth defensemen for a reason, right? It's to shelter these guys in situations like this. So, um, there's obviously value in both sides of this, but yeah, I, I think it is one of those cases like Raymond. I, I think it is, he has to look like a, like a star. Even if there's warts in his game, he still has to look like a star or else it's probably better served for his development to play at a level where he can play like a star. Does Simon Evanson make it? Yes or no, Evan? What do the monkeys in, in your brain say? The monkeys say, they say no. Oh, no. They say no. What do you think the third pair is going to be? Doesn't even matter. I mean, you're right. If it's not Simon Edvinson, it literally does not matter. It's going to cycle in and out of. It'll be different almost every game. Okay. All right. So I'm. I'm. Uh, in, I'm sorry, Brad. You were talking about you know whether or not like how he can make the team. What's your actual prediction for the for the defense? I think he makes the team. Yeah. I really liked what I saw from Simon Edvinson last year. I may change my tune in like ten days. Evan Lobsinger changes tune? No. I'm a man of my convictions. <laughs> they just, they're very changeable. Yep. <laughs> and uh, very quickly here on the goaltending, Billy Huso coming in, kind of the same situation as Alex Nedeljkovic, you know, not a reclamation project, but a talented goalie from a successful team who the contract wasn't working out there for one reason or another, and they didn't want to pay him. So uh, the Red Wings picked him up. Bailey Husso is making a little bit more and is signed for longo, longer. Does that make him the de facto 1A to a 1A, 1B tandem to come into the season? Or is it completely up in the air? Not at all. It is 1,000% up in the air. This is the season of ride the guy who is hot at that time. It's the true. Yeah, this is, in my mind, it's going to be decided by them. This is the season where I could legitimately see the games played ending up at 41-41. Am I... Am I being like a homer by saying I'm just as excited to see what Nedeljkovic does this season as uh, Vili Husso in his first season? Because this is Nedeljkovic with a a defense that has a little bit more substance within, to say the least. Like You could have said competence. It was fine. Competence is a better word. Ben Chirot, you know, doesn't matter what you think about the contract. That is an improvement. Olimata, you know, doesn't matter what you think about the player. If he's a world beater, that's an improvement. And you're talking about whether or not Simon Edvinson can even crack the third line. To borrow from you, from you, Brad, the bar was subterranean last season, and it is at like Brad's nose height this season. Still not very high, but sorry, I had to get my one in. Mm-hmm. It's the off season. Mm-hmm. But 
it's substantially better. So Nedeljkovic has a year of being weathered, to say the least, by playing behind Red Wings defense and an improved defense this year. I think he can come in and surprise a lot of people who are maybe down on him. Yep, I 100% agree. If you had to predict who comes up this season playing, you know, let's say it's it's a 50-30 split in terms of games just by earned. Huso. You think who's so? Yeah, he played better than Nedeljkovic did, albeit on a different team last year. He he basically was their their number one starter in St. Louis until Bennington took over in the playoffs. There's no way to know. There's no way to know. It's going to be who has a better preseason. Yeah, it's it's that simple with them. These guys are fifty fifty. Contracts don't matter. Who so was going into UFA? Nadalkovich wasn't, so of course his contract was going to be more expensive. Fifty fifty. It's funny because like it's it shouldn't be a surprise based on everything Eisman said in his post post free agency presser, but this is the competition we've been talking about. There are true balls in the air, like Huso and Adelkovich. They're going to have to earn their games. You know, it's not that exciting in in terms of thinking about a team that's trying to compete for Stanley Cups, but for where the Red Wings are right now, yeah, does Simon Edvinson beat out those depth guys who can come in and be everyday NHLers, albeit not in massive roles? That is, he is going to have to earn that. You know, Philip Zadina, does he want to move up this lineup? He first has to sign a contract. And does he want to win the long-term trust of this team, which he hasn't earned and, and it doesn't seem like he has right now? He's going to have to earn that. Does Jacob Verano want the opportunity to move up to the first line, depending on what happens or if they need to shake things up? Well, he's going to have to play and he's going to have to earn that. There's going to be a lot to see here. And there's going to, there are so few givens uh, on this team. So it's fun to do line projections, but I'm wondering how different and how crazy this conversation is going to sound in like six months. Everything you said is going to be wrong. Oh, that's good. Normal season then. Yeah. We're talking about uh, Simon Edmondson uh, winning AHL rookie of the year. Uh, <laughs> yeah, honestly, uh, yeah, Victor Bratstrom on the craziest, most unexpected run in NHL history. Oh, hell yeah, <laughs> absolutely. Backflips and somersaults all day, backflipped. Okay, uh, some quick league news before we jump into overtime here. Um, and we'll do just one of the contracts, there's been more assigned, but Jonathan Huberto extends in Calgary for all the speculation that he was just going to play huge. his contract out and then go to Montreal. Eight-year, $10.5 million contract. Calgary ponied up. He has really favorable uh, no-move clauses. Um, it goes to a limited no-move in the last two seasons, but $10.5 million, a lot of it's in bonuses. $61.5 million of the 84 is in signing bonuses, so it's very lockout-proof. It's very ugly to buy that contract out. Do you think he put Florida on his no-trade list? <laughs> That's a hysterical question. We'll have to check in 2029, but that's a hysterical question. I would say no. I would say no. I bet you he would take a trade back. He would take a trade back? Oh, no state tax. That's right, yeah. A contract would be worth a bajillion dollars. Ten and a half million dollars. I'm I'm torn I'm not actually torn between. I think there's two realities here. One, that contract has the risk, not the guarantee, but the risk of looking ugly in the latter half. And two, Brad Treliving was given a pile of dirt and rocks, and he somehow made lemonade out of it. I don't know how that lemonade is going to taste, but he turned it into lemonade. And, you know, to lose Johnny Goudreau and to lose Matthew Kachuk and to turn it into Huberto for the next eight years, Uyghur for at least another year, 
uh, and who was it? Schwint. Cole Schwint. And a first round pick. Man, that could have been way uglier. Way uglier. I think he just saved his job and he at least made the Calgary Flames continue to be exciting for a few years at least. I feel like I need to personally talk about Cole Schwint more in this trade just because he's the only only NHLer from Breslau, Ontario. Ooh. But Jeez. That's because yeah. you didn't make it, Brad. I tried. But uh <laughs> but um no, they they gave Huberdo Goudreau's money. Yeah. That's almost literally what they did dollar for dollar. Um, so how you feel about this, if you're a Flames fan is, do you think Huberto is better than Goudreau? Because they're around the same age, you know, close enough where the difference is pretty negligible. Generally, uh, playmakers who don't rely on speed age better than most players in the NHL. And that's exactly what Huberto is. So that's a, a very good sign. And again, yeah, they, they went into this off season with high expectations for what they were going to do in the future with Johnny Gaudreau, Matthew Kachuk, and both of them went, yeah, about that. Mm-hmm. So if all they walk away from this is uh, Cole Schwint and a- ends up an AHL lifer, Mackenzie Weger walks away in free agency next year and that first round pick turns into nothing, but you get eight years out of a star like Jonathan Huberto, it's pretty good damage control. If if any camp between the Huberto and the Goudreau camp feels like firmly that their players worlds better than the other, I don't see how you can really make that argument. I don't know. There probably is an answer here, but in my mind, if you are willing to give Goudreau that money, then yeah, you're right, Brad. Like that's just the same thing to Huberto. And there's, I think the difference there can't be too big in either direction, depending on which player you think is better. I actually think Calgary, you know, whether it's smart to give that money to a player of that age aside, I think they have the better situation in my mind. But then again, Huberto was coming from a pretty favorable situation in Florida. So we'll see how it plays out. But yeah, I, I not that I really care too much about how it shakes out for the Calgary Flames. It was just kind of ugly to watch that all shit break down. So it, it's cool to see them make something out of it. And this is kind of unprecedented in the NHL. Teams usually when it goes downhill, they either like fight it with these half measures like Ken Holland did for a long time, or they just lean into it and tank like hell. And Calgary said, no sort out said, no, we're going right back upstream. Did you read a uh, down Ghost Brown's shiny new toy article Mm-mm. that he wrote that before this contract was signed, oh. which is he went through a history of NHL contracts that were signed by players who were recently acquired by a team in such a scenario to see how many worked out and how many ended up being like pretty bad overpayments. Mm. How many, how many success stories do you think there were? Hundreds, Brad, thousands, even Give me a number, you know, it's going to be a low number. Five, lower, three, lower, one, <laughs> zero. How's that possible? The only one that's looking like it might play out. All right. Is Mark stone. I think that plays out great. Yeah, but every other one that he listed out, like that fit this criteria of what the Huberto contract looks like, is bad. <laughs> Interesting. Because <laughs> it's, well, it makes sense from the general manager standpoint. Hey, we just gave up a ton to get this guy in a trade. We can't lose this guy in a year. We need to keep this guy. And so they almost universally overpay to keep this guy, which is what they just did to Jonathan Huberdeau. 
It is it an overpay? Almost look, it, yeah, almost definitely. And not every, but it is worth noting. Not everyone is at the fault of the player because one of the examples was Tyler Sagan. Mm-hmm. Tyler Sagan was a fantastic player and never really dipped in production until his hips went. And that is don't lie. Yeah. And that is no fault of the general manager. That is no fault of Tyler Sagan. Sometimes shit just happens. But overall, yeah, doesn't work out. One of the more recent examples, Seth Jones in Chicago. They gave up the world together. We all saw that coming a mile away. (laughs) thought Stan Bowman didn't Oh my God, there's so many years left on that contract. It's only it only kicked in a month ago. Yeah, there's. It's, <laughs> I feel like we've been talking about it forever. Oh my God, that's so bad. It's that that contract's depressing me. Although it's happening to the Hawks, so that's great. Oh, that makes me happy. Let's get into overtime here, uh, folks. Overtime is brought to you by our Patreon supporters, Patreon.com/slash/WingedWheelPodcast. If you want to join the Dub Dub Club. Uh, Patreon is why we're able to do everything we can on the show. Um, there's a lot coming in the coming weeks. Even during our off-season break, we are working very, very hard to improve the show in the back end. Uh, in our Patreon-exclusive overtime, we do like an additional overtime where we answer all questions. We record it right after this that all patrons can listen to. We'll get into some more details of uh, some of the improvements that are coming. And that this is all made possible by the Dub Dub Club, so to speak. So we really can't overstate uh, if we tried the impact the patrons make. So again, patreon.com slash podcast, and we appreciate all of you. JM Rhapsody says, it's the off season, so it's rebranding time. I ask you gents to take on one NHL team and rebrand them. Could be anything. Team name, colors, logo, whatever you want. Oh, I like this question. This is so easy for me. I'm sorry, the Vegas Golden Knights is still a stupid name. Las Vegas Flamingos, also a stupid name, but at least it's not taking itself so seriously like Golden Knights. Make it the flamingos, make them black and pink. The mock-ups were amazing. It's unique. It's awesome. The granted Vegas's jersey uh, scheme and logo it worked are, out all right. It, they're they're really great. I just hate the name. Okay. I've got two answers here. One's an obvious answer, so obvious that I gotta give a second answer because it's weird. One, the Anaheim Ducks. Right. Bring back the Mighty Ducks. Bring back the OG jerseys. You had it perfect. Don't screw with it. Two. I'm going to go back to 90s bullshit. The Colorado Avalanche are no longer named the Colorado Avalanche. They are going back to what they were originally going to be named, the Rocky Mountain Extreme. And I want their jerseys to look like one of those disposable white paper cups from the 1980s with the neon design. I have a mouse pad like that. (laughs) That's going to be their jerseys running right through the middle beyond uh, what I want to, what I imagine in my head is a, uh, decked out St. Bernard riding a snowboard. Don't make me. And that, and that's the Rocky Mountain Extreme. Don't make me an Avs fan. <laughs> you won't. You'll be an extreme fan. <laughs> that's right. Um, <laughs> the patented Pesic miss. The patented. I'll, I'll read it out for the sake of the rhyme. The patented Pesic piss missile says, considering what Hronik is, an offensive-minded, defensively deficient right-handed defenseman. If we don't see improvement this season, can we expect a first, a second, and a roster player from Philly? That's oh, beyond a shadow of a doubt, at a minimum. They, I mean, I, I know there's a joke in there somewhere, but yeah, Hronik, I don't blame uh, Eisman for shopping him last trade deadline, seeing what all the other defensemen were, were going for. Like that, You have to try to capitalize on that insane value. So if, yeah, someone wants to overpay, you, you kind of have to look at that and maybe even take it. 
Unfortunately, the rest of the league probably looked at Philip Peronick's uh, game tape from this year and just went, ah, nah. <laughs> I don't know, man. Yeah, we'll see. Uh, Pester, I hardly knew her, says, happy offseason in the video where current and former players were congratulating Mo on winning uh, and then their posi- or winning the Calder listed their name in that position. When they started to speak, Lucas Raymond was listed as a left wing, which is where he played prior to coming to North America. What does this mean? Do you think he's going to move to the left this year? Did Jeff Blaschel hate him and force him to play on the right? Did I hold on to this information for your first episode of the offseason? I, I wouldn't read too much into it. I You'll probably see him flip to the other wing at some point in his career. Is what it is. Uh, what I'll read into this is that is the definitive proof we needed that they're trading Tyler Bertuzzi. Yeah. Lucas Raymond's taking his spot. Yeah, just planting the seeds. That's the way C. Weisman operates. Yeah. He loves little. The uh, prophecy is like self fulfilling. JD says, Sup, guys, quick question. Can you guys give me a prediction on Zadina's contract AAV if it's a one, two, and three year contract? Three, two, and one. <laughs> yeah. I'd be surprised if it got as high as three for one year, honestly. Maybe on a prove it deal, just kind of, you know, if the Eisman's pushing term or I don't know what. There's so many possible outcomes here, but I don't think a three-year contract right now is very likely at all. For either party. I think if Zadina is getting a one-year contract, he'll at least want a higher AAV on it. So somewhere along those lines. It's such a shame because even though I, I think we're very honest and sometimes probably harsh about Zadina because a lot of his flaws are are solely based on how he's approached the game in, in tough periods. Like that's what makes NHL players different than others insanely talented players is they get through the tough times and still make sure they're everyday NHLers. But Zadina's underlying numbers and if you break down his game, like he still does so many things right even when he's bad. It's, he's never been bad. He just can't score. He can't score, but then he lets that affect the rest of his game, right? Like, it's just... Not even that. Even his bad games, he wasn't a liability. His giveaways got kind of annoying. His giveaways get annoying at points. But I, I know what you mean. It's not like he's out there as, you know, the worst version of just an applicator that we ever saw or anything like that. Anyhow. Cran just make basketball says, how confident are you in Raymond's ability to take that next step as a consistent 70 to 85 point player? I think a lot about Nyquist burning onto the scene in 13, 14 and looking back, that's probably his best season. Nyquist was a mid round pick. That was him overachieving. Lucas Raymond's a fourth overall pick. This is expectation. Also look at the age that they came into the league. Nyquist was like almost in his mid twenties at that point. He was ripe and played pro hockey in the AHL. Like Raymond came in, burst onto the scene, and had the production he did in his rookie year. As so, a teenager. I Like any forward in the NHL, as a rookie who does well, don't discount what the sophomore slump can do. It's not a mythical thing. Teams have tape. Uh, you know, Players ha- have more expectations put on them. There's a lot of different things that factor into the sophomore slump. Um, so I don't necessarily guarantee an improvement in points, but it's, it's pretty likely. Um, I, I'm very, very certain that he's going to be a consistently productive player in the NHL. It'd be kind of shocking that he, if he wasn't, you look at the way he plays fundamentally and it's, yeah. Yeah. Once he gets into his prime, I think like 70, 75 points is probably his floor. 
Cody Stark says, I know the analytics community has always struggled with goalies and measuring their play. I know it can't really be one thing, but what do you think uh, should be the number one factor? I think it should be rebounds. That's what I work on most with my goalies. Cody Stark is a, a goalie aficionado and, and uh, guru. Um, almost all goalies can be directly related to a rebound, whether it happened a second before the goal or almost all goals can be directly related to a rebound, whether it happened a second before the goal or a minute before the goal. I mean, Cody, you probably know better than us. I think rebounds is a good one. Um, I put rebounds are 50-50, though. You still expect the defense to help you out on those ones. I, I'll approach this as a shooter just because that's what I know and that's what I've done for the last you know, 30 years of my life. Angles and positioning on goaltending is what makes the huge difference for me. I can play a big sound J.S. Giger style goalie or a Tim Thomas, you know, acrobat in the net. The goalies who are masterful on their angles, and I don't just mean getting centered to the shot, but depth from the net are the guys that I struggle with the most. Because if I have, you know, a six foot six athletic goalie, but he plays super deep in the net, I have looks, I have holes. If I've got Whereas if I've got, you know, a five foot 11 goalie who comes way out and is super aggressive and I have nothing to look at and he's quick enough to keep with me side to side, those are the guys I struggle with. Like those guys who can just center you and give you nothing to look at. So when we talk about goaltending positioning, that's what I mean. You look at, you know, Carey Price was the master of this in his prime where he never made fancy saves because when that puck went from... Marshan to Pasternak cross ice. By the time it got there, it hits Price in the chest because he's perfectly centered to the shot. He's the Peak perfect. Price. Yeah, he's perfect. The perfect depth at the top of his crease. So you have nothing to look at. So to me, that's like number one with an exclamation mark. That's the biggest factor. I have to agree that positioning for me is what, is what I look more at. But I mean, I, I think rebound is intrinsically tied to it mental like i don't really know how you measure this but a goalie's mental fortitude and and by the time they're at the pro game how much can they control themselves from spiraling when things get bad because things get bad for every goalie at some point their fault or, or not um how long do they stay in those ruts and can they come out of it you know big test for nadelkovich last season he was in a rut came out of it and, and that's what you need to look for Okay, last question here from Reed says, how much do you think Eisenman values the SHL development route as opposed to the various North American options when trying to decide between potential prospects to draft? I wouldn't be surprised if he thinks the SHL route significantly helps a prospect reach their ceiling for sea alternatives, and this could help explain his recent propensity for drafting Swedes. Yeah, you know, when we asked Chris Draper in his interview and when Eisenman has been asked uh, on other occasions, they'll never outright say it. And, you know, I don't want to pretend to know what the team thinks, but I would imagine, Reed, that you're onto something here. It's The truth is probably a combination of the SHL route helps to illuminate players a little bit more certainly. And so it's not that it's the only route that's good, but it just gives you some more certainty. Uh, but also, yeah, I mean, for the Red Wings, it's been pretty tried and true of late. So, And they have a really, really strong European scouting team over there. So they're more likely, to, in my mind, to find European studs that way. It'll never be the only option for a player to be successful. Like, you know, by some miracle, if they land Connor Bedard next year, they'll be happy to have Connor Bedard and he'll have come the North American route. But yeah, the the playing pro hockey in the SHL, they've they've earned their accolades and their trust in my mind. 
You think we just did prospect profiles on players in in Sweden's development system and like have the rights owned by SHL teams this year? We'll save ourselves a lot of time. No, that'll be the first time the Red Wings go to North America. <laughs> you know for a fact that that's when they go North American. How much time do we spend on Matt Savoy? That was the mistake. <laughs> Not that he wasn't a worthy pick. It's you spend the time on. He was, it? He was on the wrong continent. Yeah. We came on, we came around to the Marco Casper conversation around the same time we we came around to the Cutter Gochi conversation, and you, I think at some point we expected neither to be there. Yeah, really, things had to kind of get shaken up by Chicago for Casper to be there. So yeah, if we if we do only Swedes, it'll be a a North American player, American drafted eleventh. They'll win the lottery and be forced to draft a Canadian. We can force fate's hand. Oh my God, we're on to something. <laughs> All right, folks. Um, it is a trillion degrees in here. So we are going to wrap up this episode of the Winged Wheel podcast and record the Patreon exclusive. Uh, there is, for patrons, going to be a midweek episode this week of some sort. Next Sunday is our next full main episode as the offseason rolls on, barring Steve Eisman doing anything insane. Uh, it's going to be an interesting and a fun one for you guys I, I, where you've been looking forward to this one. So stay tuned for that. I'd like to thank all of you who have been listening, uh, bearing with us through the off season. We appreciate you giving us the patience of a break. Evan, I know you appreciated it wearing your Cabot hat, getting yes. some good golf in. Yep. For us, it's uh, it's nice. As much as we love hockey and love talking about it all the time, it is nice to kind of unwind, spend time with family and friends, and and give ourselves a break from each other. You hugged me when you saw me today. That is unless you are Abby. That is untrue. <laughs> yeah, you only hug my dog. Although I will. Oh, take- I did say something to you. What did I say? It was rude. You said, what do you want? Yeah, I said, what do you want? <laughs> first time I saw you in the three. <laughs> Missed you too, buddy. Anyhow, uh, thank you for uh, for rolling with the offseason with us. Just because the content has slowed doesn't mean it's gone away. We'd like to thank uh, all of our listeners, um, the sponsors of this podcast, the FanDuel Sportsbook, and our name level supporters on Patreon. Arjun Shanker, Eves Bartels on behalf of the Sarah Garan Foundation, Akefer, the Stay Fresh Cheese Bag, Nick Perks, uh, Terry Driver of the number 69, Crying Ryan Hand has been in a slam and jamathong. Matthew M. Rice, Brandon M., Carl Brutanen and Aluski, Chimmy, Citizen High Five, Connor Scovey, Coyote Season Tickets in Tempe, Craig Kibble, Derek Enstam, DJ Denton, Give Blood Fight Probert, Hassam Alkasem, Jay Gollum, Jacob Turner, Kalen Wood, King Tone, Kyle Hashman, Marcus, Matt McKay, Nicholas Fritz, R.A., Ryan Hanna, Ryan Hanna, Ryan Hanna. Ryan Hanna, Ryan Hubbard, Scott Martin, Zachary Rogers, Ryan Hanna. You guys really didn't change the names yet, eh? Sam Bankson, Babe Landiscogas, Stanley Cup champion, Bertuzzi and Hronik trade proposal number 69, Brad, thick with two C's, Crisco, Ben Barron, Brian Vasha, Connor Leighton, Darren Fick, Dave W., Evans Bingo Card, Griffey Boy, High and Rana, It Hurts When I Pew Suter, James Laporte, <laughs> Jeremiah Dobo, JM Rhapsody, Josh Yelton, Justin and the Angry Mob, Carco Masper, Kevin McCracken, Quaz, Logan Burgos, Melissa Erickson, Papa Woody, Puck Norris, Reed, Revy DeLuca, Ryan Hanna, Ryan Hanna, Ryan Hanna, Ryan Hanna, Ryan Hanna, Thick Rick, Trevor Pevavar. Thank you all so much, you bunch of weirdos. We'll talk to you either midweek or uh, Sunday. Thanks for tuning in to the Winged Wheel Podcast. Be sure to check out wingedwheelpodcast.com, where you can subscribe to the show on iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. You'll also find links to other ways to support the show, such as Patreon, official podcast apparel, and more. And don't forget to follow the show on Twitter at wingedwheelpod. And of course, the hosts at Brad Crisco, at Ryan Hanna WWP, and at Hockey Town Evan.